Episode 261 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Self-Publishing School, where you can score a free copy of the book published by Chandler Bolt when you sign up for Chandler's free training on getting your book published. Visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash published to sign up for the free training and grab your free copy of the book now. of what we put on our to-do list is never done at all. You know, to-do lists are the the graveyard of uh, of good intention. It's really important, but it's not urgent. Hi there, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is the perfect first step. The Read to Lead podcast will help you narrow this ever-important reading list and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And though he's written a lot of books, today we get a first-time visit from Kevin Cruz. Not his fault, that's my fault. His new book is called Great Leaders Have No Rules, Contrarian Business Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. Among other things, I'll ask Kevin to share why he believes almost everything you've ever learned about leadership is wrong, the problem with rules as they exist in most organizations today, what he means by crowding your calendar and why it's a good thing to do, and much, much more. Not since the launch of the Read to Lead podcast nearly six years ago, have I been as excited as I am for the launch of the Boss Free Virtual Summit. It's a free eight-day online conference I'm putting together for you. If you've ever dreamed of being your own boss, starting your own business, or doing your own thing, you might already be doing your own thing. But if you desire to do even better, or you're floundering and thinking about throwing in the towel, attend the Boss Free Virtual Summit first. It's especially for you if you desire to someday transition from your current job to working for yourself, or if you've begun a business on the side but haven't quite been able to grow it enough to leave that job like you want to. You can reserve your spot for free for the Boss Free Virtual Summit right now at BossFreeSummit.com. During the summit, I'll be interviewing 32 successful business owners, freelancers, and entrepreneurs so that you can learn all in one place everything you need to flourish financially on your own. It's truly like getting an MBA-level education in doing your own thing in eight days for free. Again, you can find out more about it and save your spot right now at BossFreeSummit.com. Kevin Cruz is a New York Times bestselling author and serial entrepreneur and has started or co-founded several multi-million dollar businesses over the years. Uh, His articles on leadership have appeared in Forbes and a number of other publications. And his podcast, I've recently become a new listener, is the LeadX Leadership Show. It's been downloaded over a million times. He's also the founder and CEO of LeadX with a mission to spark 100 million new leaders. Now, Kevin's latest book, he's written several, and the one we're diving into today is called Great Leaders Have No Rules, Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. And this visit by Kevin, I have to admit, is probably long overdue. So thank you, Kevin, for for not holding that against me. And welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. 
<laughs> it's great to be here, Jeff. It just means we're going to have an extra good conversation today. <laughs> <laughs> well, right out of the gate, you intrigue me with a couple of things you say in your book. You talk about leadership being a superpower and, and also that almost everything we've been taught about leadership is wrong. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how a lack of leadership impacted your first two companies. Yeah, that's right. I, I started, as you mentioned, I've been a serial entrepreneur now for 30 years. But when I was uh, young and dumb in my early 20s, <laughs> it's not that everybody's is young and dumb when they're 20 something, but I was, uh, you know, I, I started my first company. And like a lot of entrepreneurs, even the ones we read about or hear about in Silicon Valley, you know, I had a lot going for me in terms of enthusiasm and moxie and bright ideas and hustle. I mean, I was working, you know, 16 hours or more a day. But as an entrepreneur and being young, I had no management experience and there was no management or leadership training. You know, there's no program or anything I went to. And I didn't even know what I didn't know. That was that that green. And that first company <laughs> lasted all of one year. Mm. And, uh, you know, I went out of business uh, deeply in debt and kind of licked my wounds for a while and climbed out of debt and then started a second company. And similarly, like I was aware now of the importance of management and leadership. Mm. In round one, I always thought I had the, the best idea in the room. I always thought I was the <laughs> smartest guy in the room. I micromanaged. I didn't, I was cheap, so I didn't hire the right talent. And, and I had learned some of those lessons, but then I sort of did what I had heard and and read in kind of the, the classic management books. And that company went out of business mm. after about two years. And it was impossible to succeed both in terms of getting stuff done as a, as a startup, as an entrepreneur, and leading effectively. And of course, I think if you boil management down, you know, you're, you're, you need to, of course, get stuff done, get results, mm -hmm. but you also need to do the people stuff. It's people and profits, it's revenue and relationships. And, uh, I, and I wasn't able to balance that. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's just not understanding how leadership, what it was and how it really works. I mean, I, I point to that really as the number one factor of failure mm -hmm. in those first two businesses. Luckily, the third one was the charm <laughs> and I got a little bit better after that. I definitely, uh, as a young person, identify, well, not a young person now, but when I was in my 20s, I definitely identify with the, the, the young and dumb. And, and as I hear your story, there are so many similarities in our, in our journeys. And, and the way I led was very similar to what you talked about. Just a, a lot of similarities between you and I in the, in the early going, except for, of course, the co-founding of the multi-million dollar companies part. I didn't do that, but <laughs> <laughs> those other things I identify with for sure. Well, uh, as far as rules are concerned, certainly uh, one rule I think we're all pretty familiar with and one that's been instituted, I think, in virtually every company I've ever worked for is the, the open door policy rule. What are, what are some of the drawbacks of having an always open door, Kevin, and, and what might some of the solutions be to, to those drawbacks? Sure. And, and this is one, Jeff, where, where, I mean, this is probably just if you think about classic wisdom and advice. I mean, open door mm. policy. I mean, who who would who would doubt that? And it, I used to be that I, I didn't doubt it. And of course, <laughs> like a lot of these rules, it comes from a good place. The idea of the open door policy is to to break down barriers, to improve communication. You know, you could skip levels and, and get things done quickly. All worthy things that we want to accomplish. But in this crazy busy world, you know, the dreaded knock, 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 do you got a minute um, mm. is is just nonstop. 
in survey research I did a couple years back, got a minute meetings came out as the number one interrupter of productivity, mm. totally prevents us from kind of getting into the zone and doing our, our deep work. Uh, and of course, in this day and age, we don't all have offices and doors anymore, but whether it's the tap on the shoulder in an open cube environment, or even if you're working remotely and your, your phone buzzes with a Slack message, hey, help me out. Mm. You know, there's a digital form of got a minute. And not only is it impairing our productivity as the manager, as the leader, but interestingly enough, there's a lot of research to suggest that it's causing undue dependence from our direct reports. Uh, if someone's coming through my door five times a day, you kind of have to pause and say, what's going on here? Do they not have the training to do their job? Do they not have the resources to do their job? Or is there not enough psychological safety for them to make a decision and maybe it be wrong? And Marshall Goldsmith even did, you know, legendary uh, executive coach. Mm. He's written about this, that, hey, you know, you need to try to uh, uh, people come through your door. That's a sign of weak leadership, not strong leadership. Mm. So the open door policy isn't working. But as you said, what what do we put in in its place? And I say you can fix your open door policy first by just saying, listen, it's not always an open door policy. It's an open door policy like from three to five every day or on Fridays and Mondays. You know, it's kind of like office hours. And if everybody knows that, OK, we, we respect deep work and focused work. So these unscheduled meetings are only going to happen one hour a day during office hours. The other thing is just to say <laughs> stop the the, the pop-in meetings and mm. just go to the schedule. So even if you just need five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, book a 15 minute time slot on the schedule. So at least it's planned and you can pick, like in my case, I like to move them in the afternoon when my brain's a little fresher for the deep work in the morning. So mm. I mean, that's just two simple strategies of just have scheduled office hours or ask people to schedule it, even if it's a kind of a micro meeting. Well, something else, no doubt, Kevin, high on the interruptions list would be smartphones. In fact, Kevin shares some pretty eye-opening statistics related to smartphone use in the workplace and, and productivity. Many of them probably not too awfully surprising, but it's good to see the research there to back it up. Kevin, what are some ways we as leaders can tackle a workplace distraction that's as ubiquitous as the smartphone? It would almost seem like it's a it's a losing battle. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and I'm not alone in seeing this, that, that smartphone addiction seems to be now on a lot of people's minds and having this interruption device uh, is getting in the way of productivity and mindfulness of, of real relationships. And I, you know, I kind of fought with my editor even on this chapter, mm. you know, is, is smartphone use really a leadership topic? And I come at it, Jeff is saying, well, it is because first of all, if you care about your team's productivity, then it's a leadership topic. If you care about your team's safety and the issues with texting while driving and, and things, and the third is is sort of having an environment uh, in the office where people are comfortable speaking freely. And what I mean by that one is there's a lot of news about people using their smartphones as recording devices, you know, as a way mm. to record people doing bad things or whatever. And and I hope that, look, if there's some boss out there that's harassing someone and there's a way, you know, to catch them with your smartphone, go for it. <laughs> what I'm saying is we're, we're in a time where if you're in a conference room and let's say you want to have all your team members 
brainstorm a solution to a thorny problem and you say, hey, no such thing as a bad idea. And let's all, you know, uh, put our red hats on and attack the idea. Let's put our green hats on and and support the idea. You want a free flowing environment. But if everybody's got their phone out and you're not sure who's recording or who's taping, I've heard a lot of reports about people, you know, fearing that they're going to say something out of context that's going to end up on the Internet or, you know, being used against them in some way. So I just say there's a time and place. I mean, uh, smartphones a powerful tool, but let's not be Pavlov's dog where we <laughs> carry it on us on all of the time. And every time it buzzes, we react to that bell. We've let someone else, someone else's priority <laughs> interrupt our own priorities. You know, instead, let's keep that cell phone in the desk drawer. Let's keep it in airplane mode and face down off to the side or on the floor and uh, stay in real relationships, stay in real productivity. Let everybody know that they can speak candidly without any kind of, you know, verbal photoshopping going on. And uh, I think that's the way to move quickly and and create a a stronger culture. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that Kevin has written several books, and I think a lot of that probably has to do with his approach to productivity and deep work and not succumbing to shiny object syndrome and the latest app on his cell phone and such i would certainly recommend you follow his advice regardless of what it is you're trying to accomplish but especially if you're trying to write your first book and i would add to that reading chandler bolt's book published we featured on the show a couple of years back and i want to tell you how to get a free copy of that book it sells for 15 bucks on amazon has over 500 ratings and reviews again it's called published And both the book and some free training that Chandler is offering right now can help walk you through the process of easily writing your first book in as little as 90 days. You just sign up for the free training at readtoleadpodcast.com slash published and you get the book sent to you for free. The training is free and the book is free just for signing up. If you've ever thought about writing a book, whether as an extra income stream or maybe to generate leads for your business or to share a story that you've just been dying to tell, I think you owe it to yourself to sign up for this training. Again, it's free and you can register at readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. Kevin, your your chapter titles are certainly catchy and, and attention grabbing because they're not you know conventional. We're talking about a contrarian point of view, obviously. Uh, one of, one of the chapter titles is "Have No Rules." What, what are some of the problems, or maybe even dangers, Kevin, with rules as they exist in most organizations today? The, the drawbacks and and how would you change them or, or maybe tweak them to sort of help bring them into the twenty first century? Sure. It's and let me start by saying the time you do need rules is if there's a law that your company has to follow or if there's a safety issue. You know, I I worked with a railroad company and they had rules where if you're working on the railroad tracks, you can't wear earbuds and listen to music. That's a good rule. (laughs) That's a good rule to have. We're talking about all those rules and policies and procedures that are designed to sort of control uh, the workforce and, and and prevent you know bad things spending too much money for example from happening and here's the problem every time I bump into a rule that that you've put in place it prevents me from making a decision from making a choice and it becomes more your company than than my company or, or even our company mm. and in that chapter I talk about a time when I had sold my uh, one of my businesses. And to a larger company, I joined them, reported to the CEO as a partner, as a vice president. He told me we were all equal and everybody gets a vote and we're going to grow this business together. And one month in, my expense report came back and it was shorted by about $4. 
And so it wasn't a big deal, but I just sent a note to the CFO, like maybe there was a mistake or I filled out the form wrong. I just didn't know. And he sends me back a one-liner. It says, um, we subtracted $4.34 for post-it notes. You're not allowed to buy post-it notes. <laughs> and I'm not making this up. And then at the same time, another young partner who just come in <laughs> says, hey, do you know they wouldn't pay for my beer? I, I was traveling. I went out to dinner and I had beer as my beverage, one beer. And they won't pay for it. Beer is forbidden. He says, I could have bought a $6 milkshake, but not a $3 beer. <laughs> and um, what what became a big fight in the firm was called, you know, the, po the post-it note fight, because mm. I certainly didn't feel like a partner then. I didn't feel like it was one vote. I felt like, okay, I mean, how, how important am I when I can't buy post-it notes? Now, the CEO explained to me when I went to go fight him on this. He said, listen, Kevin, it's not about the post-it notes. He says, our value, and it was a, actually a written value, is about growth and profit. And it's not that that's our mission. It's just that you need that to survive. Mm. And so no post-it notes, no beer. It's a symbol. He says, on my desk, and he showed me, he said, I've torn up scrap paper. We all have that scrap paper envelopes. He says, I tear it into little squares. And instead of jotting a phone message on a post-it note, I write it on this scrap paper. And he says, it's a symbol of frugality. Now, once he explained it like that, I never bought post-it notes anymore. Mm. And it's because rules get in the way of relationships. Rules get in the way of, of a conversation. Instead of having a rule, you should have values, which are your guardrails, and then conversation and coaching when something goes awry. They could have easily paid for the post-it notes on my round one. Mm. And then in my next one-on-one -on -one meeting with my boss, he could have said, hey, by the way, you did post-it notes. I want to tell you a story. And they mm. could have explained it. And, and you know, if people think no rules is a little crazy for most organizations and teams, Jeff, I think this applies even to our marriages, mm. our families. I've got three kids, knock on wood. They've, they've been, you know, blessings and just great kids. But I never approached it with rules. You know, when I was raised, my dad, I mean, he was very strict and he had rules. And like a, one rule was a curfew. You know, you're mm. you're back at 10 p.m. in this house. And if my sisters came back now, I, I was a nerd. I was very good. I never came back late. My sisters, if they would come back at 10.03, it was World War Three. You know, he would say <laughs> you you broke the rule. You're disrespecting me. These are house rules. Mm. It became a big issue. And of course, they would be forced to lie. Right. So now they're like, oh, my watch says it's 9.57. <laughs> and they're either going to feel guilty or angry. And again, it's suddenly my dad's house. It's not their house. You know, it's he, he's he's the one that that owns the, the, the situation and their relationships deteriorated quickly over time. Mm. Now, I tell my kids it's not a rule, but trust me, I talk to them all the time and say, hey, listen, what time do you plan on coming home tonight? Because as you know, I love you so much. I'm going to be so stressed out that I cannot fall asleep until you come home. And I'm really tired and I've got an important thing tomorrow morning. So I don't want to be up too late. And by the way, you know, blah, blah, blah. What time do you want to come home? And then they say, well, can we stay out till 11? Sure. And text me if you're running late. And they've been great, you know, and whether it's drinking or whatever, it's a conversation. It's a back and forth. It's a relationship. And it's a conversation about our values, our values as people, as as a family or as a as an organization. Now, you use several uh, sports examples here in the book as well, as, as I recall. A lot of times when we allow people to police one another, they do a better job and, and are even sometimes stricter than if, if we put all these rules on them. Is that true? Yeah, th that's right. It, it, often people will hold themselves to a higher standard than, uh, than we will hold them up 
uh, as well. Mm. And you certainly a lot of examples in a lot of industries. Maybe the most famous example is actually Netflix. I mean, everybody knows Netflix these days mm. and they're a, a credible growth story. And from the start, they said, you know, it's more about hiring the right talent. You know, if you've hired bad people, you might need rules to control them. <laughs> But if you've hired the right talent, let's not be babysitters. Let's not uh, try to protect from the one-tenth of one percent or even one percent that does things wrong and now is a hassle for the 99 percent. Let's support the 99 percent and coach or fire the one percent who can't understand what kind of company we're trying to be. Well, uh, in my positions of leadership over the years, I often found myself wanting desperately to be liked by those who, who worked for me and you know, wanting to do things like hang out after work or have them consider me one of their friends. And of course, that led to all kinds of, of issues. Hmm. What, what's the difference between being liked and being likable? And, and why is one better than the other? Well, you, you and I have have that same trait, hmm. and you know we're in good company. I had the <laughs> good fortune of uh, chatting with with John Maxwell just a couple weeks ago, and he said one of his biggest mistakes as a as a young leader was he had this desire, this need, really to be liked. And um, again, without the right training and mentors, often young leaders, you know, we think, I certainly know, I thought about it as, oh, you know, I'm not the boss. I'm just one of them. I just have a different job. We're all equal here. Mm -hmm. I I just have a different role. But what was going on is I had a high need to be liked. So it started to become a problem in terms of giving people tough feedback. I started avoiding having those tough professional conversations because I didn't want them to get mad at me. Um, I started taking way too long to make business decisions. I remember one reorganization where I announced that it was time for us to reorg to whatever reason. And instead of making the decision or seeking input through a survey or just talking to my direct reports, I ended up having one-on-ones with like all 50 people on on my extended team. It took six months to learn like, oh, surprise, you can't make everybody happy all of the time. <laughs> so the need to be liked uh, is a personality thing. It's We all want to be liked, but the need to be liked will get in the way mm. of of effective leadership. And the reality is your team members, most of them, they don't need another friend. They need a leader, a leader who's going to uh, grow the organization so that their career can grow and a leader who's going to coach them to get to the next level in their career. They want that more than uh, than a friend or, or to be popular. So that was sort of the big difference and uh, uh, the theme of that chapter. Uh, traditional time management techniques uh, discussed in, in one of my favorite chapters, chapter six, uh, teach us that, that our calendar for meetings and phone calls. And up until a few years ago, Kevin, that's certainly how I saw my planner is the thing for those things. But you say to be extremely productive, everybody or everything should be on your calendar. In fact, you go so far as to say crowd your calendar. Explain that. This was a surprise to me uh, as well, because it was when I was doing research for my last book, which was uh, 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management. Mm -hmm. And I just went out and interviewed like 300 high achievers, these self-made millionaires and even billionaires. And about halfway through the interviews, I realized that of all the advice I was getting, nobody mentioned their to-do list, which is odd because I had a to-do list. It's what I was taught. And I ranked it every night and rewrote it and ABC, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So then I started asking the follow-up questions. And usually when I would say, hey, well, give me some tips about, you know, your to-do list. Usually they would just laugh. To-do list. That's that's crazy. And what it got to as I looked into it is that to-do lists 
there's research that suggests that about 40% of what we put on our to-do list is never done at all. You know, to-do lists are the, <laughs> the graveyard of, uh, of good intention. You know, it's, it's really important, but it's not urgent. You know, so right. there's, I'm going to, I'm going to work on other things and having things on your to-do list. I used to have like 60 things written on this big yellow legal pad in two columns. It leads to stress and insomnia because of what's called the Zygarnik effect. You know, if we know we have to do some stuff, but we haven't planned it out, it kind of churns, mm. you know, in our, in our mind. And as I talked and looked at what so many successful leaders are doing, including leaders in the military, you mentioned great, you know, sports uh, coaches as leaders. First of all, they're all obsessed with time. And John Maxwell had just said it as well. All these people are saying, Kevin, you pick a day from seven years ago and an hour and give me a few minutes. I'll tell you exactly what I was doing because Mm -hmm. they're planning their day down to the minute. Every minute counts. And they're living their life from their calendar. The to-do lists get done or not done and thrown away, but they're scheduling everything out. And that's the idea. It's it's time is, boy, you know, we've all got the same 1,440 minutes a day. And that is a differentiator. Are you a leader who's maximizing your time, your time with your team? Everybody says we're crazy busy. Oh, I'd coach my people more, but I just don't have the time. Um, Oh, I wanted to finish up that project project, but there just wasn't the time. And yet so many of us let people steal our time with those got a minutes, with interruptions, with grab a cup of coffee meetings, et cetera. Great leaders are very intentional. What are my values? You know, so what do I care about? What are my priorities, my goals, my objectives? Now let me schedule time to work on each of those things. In terms of self-leadership, self-influence, if I value my health, then I'm going to schedule time on that treadmill. If I think about leading in my family unit and, and my family's important to me, then I'm going to schedule date night once a, once a week and not miss it. Now on the team at work, if I schedule being a leader who truly cares, connects, and coaches my team members, I'm going to schedule one-on-one meetings with each direct report every single Monday. It's just a recurring meeting. Mm. So you schedule out your values, your priorities. Hey, and then if there's any cracks left, okay, you know that's some buffer time for some deep thinking, putting out fires or whatever that might be. But great leaders just crowd that calendar up every single mm. minute. I remember a few years ago, and I've, I've told this story before here on the podcast, Kevin, coaching someone through this, this very process and showing them an example in my own calendar, my own planner. And they took one look at it and they said to themselves, well, I don't want to be that busy. <laughs> I was just like, you're, 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 that time is going to come and go regardless. Your job is to decide whether or not you want to be intentional with how you're going to spend that time. You know, and I know this is exactly what you're all about and your show's all about, Jeff, but I I agree. It's about intent. Mm. You know, you're either just going to randomly let life happen, let those minutes wash over you, or you're going to live them with intent. You're going to lead with intent. And and I'm sure your crowded calendar, still, you've thought through a time to rest and recharge or to read or to go, you know, have, have coffee with a friend. It's not that you're never having fun or relaxing. It's that you're you're thinking it through and not having it happen accidentally. Yeah, I had somebody ask me once, how how do I manage to read so much? And I said, you won't believe how simple the answer is. And they said, well, what is it? I said, I actually schedule in my planner, set aside time to read. And if I don't do that, it's just, it's just not going to happen. Other things are going to crowd it out. There you go. 
Um, well, the, the last company I worked for certainly would cringe at many of the ideas Kevin presents in one particular chapter in his book, and I mean that in a good way. They, they, <laughs> uh, it's, it's the one called Reveal Everything, Even Salaries. Now, I, I don't mm-hmm. know if you know David Burkus or not, but I... I do know David, and he's, he's, he's a contrarian himself. Yes. I like David a lot. <laughs> yeah, I chatted with him uh, last time he was on the show about this, uh, specifically the idea of being transparent with things like employee salaries. What have you learned, Kevin, about the advantages of, of this level of openness in, in a company? Yeah, it, it's interesting because, again, uh, back in the day, I would have shuddered at this idea. <laughs> and um, and it was easier back in the day to hide information because it was pre-internet, pre-crowdsourcing. And I think the old school wisdom, you know, I had plenty of you know leaders tell me that they would say things like, you know, leadership is acting. You have to always put on a happy face or you never tell anybody. I mean, I was told this not too long ago, like, Kevin, you never give the bad news to your team members because you don't want them updating their resumes and looking for a job. That was the old school way. But here's the thing. People are not stupid. If you don't tell people what's going on in your organization, whatever they imagine, whatever they're going to gossip about is going to be worse than probably what really is going on. Mm -hmm. And if you're not sharing with them the fact that you guys are missing your numbers or a project is delayed or you have to change the strategy, you cannot enlist their support, their ideas. The more you share, the more you are transparent with information, the more they trust you as a leader, the more they trust the organization. And so there's a lot of good to be had from that transparency. And specifically to salaries, this was the same company as the post-it note example. (laughs) Um, I walked into work one day in a fairly senior leadership position. And, you know, my assistant was white as a ghost. She's like, did you see email? And this was before everyone was walking around with this uh, email on their phone. And I'm like, no. And someone in the in the finance department accidentally sent a spreadsheet with mm. 500 salaries on it to 500 people oh, in, the, in the company. And so everybody was reading this, uh, everybody's salaries. And <laughs> I was horrified, like, oh, no, like this is going to be a real problem. So the first thing I did was what? What everyone else did. I opened it up and looked at how much all my <laughs> all my peers are making. And I got mad. Hey, how come Bill's making more than me? He doesn't have P&L responsibility. And I did do that. Like, that's the human part of it. But you know what? It didn't change my behavior or anything in that organization. And it, and I didn't get any. Um, now, maybe I was managing salaries better than others. I didn't. It wasn't a problem on my own team. And I thought, boy, that's interesting. Like, people didn't really care. Nobody quit. Nobody had a big fight about anything. And this day and age, Jeff, let's face it, we can go on to salary.com or Mm. half a dozen other services that will give you average salaries by role in your city and often in your company. Because if you get six people to say what a mid-level engineer makes at Acme Company, you know exactly what people are making. And this day and age, it's becoming more important. Like people know about the uh, the gender pay gap and trying to close that. And I think people just talk even before internet. You know, you and I could just <laughs> ask each other, hey, you know, mm. we're been here the same time. We got the same title. How much are you making? Or how much was your bonus? Friends talk. So rather than dance around it, hiding mm. it, thinking it's taboo, let people know what the, the metrics for the salary are. And I, I think the Silicon Valley companies, not all of them, but they've done a pretty good job with this. I mean, they will say, listen, you know, we're going to start with the 80th percentile of national average salary as measured by pay scale. And we're going to adjust it up if you've done, you know, 
10 years of experience instead of five. We'll adjust it down if uh, for whatever reason. They just explain the logic behind salary. So it's not favoritism, bias, or something else. And I think that's just the right way to uh, the right way to be. And again, it instills trust and confidence that the that, that everyone's being tra- treated fairly. I think in regard to salary, uh, more and more, that is likely, in my view, to to be something that is treated in a transparent fashion. I, I, it's hard for me because in in the the generation I grew up in, that was that was something you did not talk about. But in in working with millennials, it's a very different experience. I remember <laughs> meeting with a direct report, and she had some questions about her salary and and why it wasn't as much as her core. Because I'm like, wait a minute, you you, you talk about this openly with oh. <laughs> you know, is in one of those kind of moments. But uh, I. I see that millennials often, in particular, I don't know if that's been your experience, don't view that the same way as older guys, maybe like you and me, uh, view that right. over, over the years. Well, no, I, and you're right. And I was raised, you know, same way. Like, boy, I, I never even knew what my, how much money my parents made. You know, you, it was like, you don't talk about, you don't talk to people about your salary. You don't talk about religion. You know, there's just certain things that are like off limits, you know? And um, so, yeah, growing up, I mean, I, I don't think anybody did it and it wasn't very easy to do. And I think, I mean, maybe there's, I don't even know, maybe there's still companies out there where you'd probably be fired if you shared, like Mm. they considered it, you know, proprietary and disruptive if you were sharing it. But as you say, I think the millennial generation in general, I don't like generalizing, you know, uh, I think a lot of the stereotypes on generations are are off base. Mm. But I do think the the younger uh, generation has a different view about money in general and just privacy information. You know, they're a lot more open to sharing than than, uh, those of us who have been around a bit longer. Mm. And thank you, too, for clarifying that. I don't want folks to think I'm generalizing millennials (laughs) because I agree with you on that for sure. Well, openness as a company probably doesn't work very well if you as an individual, as a leader, aren't open. Similarly, share a bit about the power, Kevin, of vulnerability in leadership. Yeah, I think this goes hand in hand with transparency. You know, the transparency on one level is sharing the information, you know, the numbers or Mm. the news. I I think being vulnerable is really being open and sharing, you know, your, your weaknesses, your things you're working on, times you failed. And you probably heard it your, yourself, Jeff. I mean, you know, I was raised and it was like, no, 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 it's the leader mask. Like they, mm. they, you need to, to project power and authority and charisma. And God forbid you tell them that you've got a weakness or you failed in some area, they wouldn't respect you as much. I mean, that was the, the conventional wisdom. But now it's it's completely flipped around. You will be trusted more. Employee engagement will be higher if you show some of your your weakness. People want to know that you're human. They want to if you reveal a time when you made a mistake, when you failed at something, they're more likely to come to you when they've made a mistake. They're going to be more innovative knowing that failure. Well, hey, it's just an experiment that didn't work out. Kevin failed plenty of times, he said. (laughs) Um, So it drives that psychological safety. And what I myself always struggled with was, well, how open is too open? You know, are we talking about like I show up on Monday and tell everybody what a horrible weekend I had and, and, you know, my girlfriend left me and my cat's sick and I'm scared to death that we're going to miss our numbers. Like how negative and transparent do you want to be? And, and I got some good guidance from some people out there. You know, one was um, a former Navy SEAL. Now he's a CEO. 
And I asked him, I said, all right, listen, you were leading SEAL teams on missions. Are you going to talk to them like truly and show your vulnerability and weakness? Like you don't do that in the military, right? <laughs> and he said that he does share everything, including like, okay, all the information that they've got about the mission and the plan. And they would talk about problems or, or reservations about the plan. Like guys, we're, we're going to be outgunned. We're, we should be doing this at night. It's the middle of the day, but we got to follow the orders. And so let's talk about what happens if all these things go wrong. What he says he doesn't share or didn't share is irrational emotions. Hmm. So he said, listen, emotions are contagious. They spread like the flu and we all have them. We're all human. So if there's an emotion that is legitimately caused by some facts that would benefit other people, go ahead and share them. But he said, we all also feel those emotions from time to time when we're not at our best, when we're stressed out, whatever it might be, that would not be helpful. So he says he doesn't share irrational emotions. And, and I've heard others who are more expert at authenticity than than I am. And they say, you know, it's it's not an either or, it's earned. Mm. So maybe, you know, you're, you're new hire, you guys don't know each other that well. There's no relationship there. They haven't shared much either. You know, maybe you don't share a whole lot of, of the downside or the personal stuff. You know, you've been working with someone who's a, a peer of yours for 10 years. Maybe you do share what's going on in your personal life or some of, some of those irrational fears. So it's more like a sliding scale. You know, they need to earn the right to, I don't know, peel the onion. I'll switch up my metaphors, peel the <laughs> onion back a little bit more. I was talking with someone just uh, a couple of days ago who was sort of put off by the vulnerability they were seeing in in someone in a, in a leadership position. And as we talked more about it, uh, what, what the two of us realized is they were sort of using it in a contrived or a oh. manipulative way. And yeah. I love what you say in your book. You say that's an inauthentic way of being authentic. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, trying too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, Kevin, I know our time is short. I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you that aren't directly related to the book. Before I do that, though, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we walk away with? No, I mean, Jeff, I've just enjoyed the conversation and you've been generous letting me share so many of the ideas. I mean, I, I unfortunately, I think people will read the title and think, OK, this is just crazy not to have rules and, and not give it a chance. But I think you'll see or as your listeners have heard. You know, it's explaining where the old wisdom came from, but it doesn't always work. And there's some some new ways to get some better results. And I just I'm grateful for the opportunity that you covered as much as you did. Well, well, thank you for being so generous, because I, I know it can sometimes not be easy when you want people to buy the book. Maybe the tendency is wanting to be stingy with some of the information. But <laughs> but but my hope is that folks are left wanting more still and uh, do indeed realize how great a book this is and, and go out and pick it up, because. I think it's definitely one that every leader needs in their arsenal and one that they can use as a resource and refer back to again and again. Well, I want you to think, Kevin, about the, the books you've read over the last few years in particular, or, or if you need to go back to earlier in your career, maybe those those books that help you get you out of your out of your young and dumb years or something. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But but think of the ones particularly that had a big impact on you and share maybe why or how they impacted you as as they did. Yeah, and and I I'm it's awesome that you you end with the question about books. I've been a lifelong reader. You know, I read I try to read one or two books a week actually. Mm. And um, whether your listeners are reading books or book summaries or books on tape, I mean, I just it, we all need to continue on that journey. Mm. And so there's so many books. I mean, the ones that um, top of mind. I mean, the, the, you probably get this a lot, but you know, Marshall Goldsmith's "What Got You Here Won't Get You There" mm. is a really good book about kind of opening your eyes to even when you think you're doing everything right about some common uh, blind spots. 
More recently, you know, Kim Scott's Radical Candor is a great uh, model for giving feedback, which I think is a, a huge underpinning. And I actually had my life changed a bit, you know, maybe, I don't know, it was five, eight years ago reading Renee Brown's Daring Greatly, which is not a pure, you know, business type book. Again, getting to that issue of the, the deeper work of self-awareness, self-worth, our needs to feel validated. Where is that coming from? And, you know, kind of starts to get into that, be likable, not necessarily liked. And uh, so those are just some some recent ones that, you know, that come to mind. When you have the chance, Kevin, to to get in front of a live audience and, and do a keynote or what have you, what are some things you try to keep in mind uh, to make sure you're going to deliver a talk that's impactful and just be really memorable? Yeah, I, I, again, I was really bad when I started out. <laughs> and, you know, having done a dozen, to, uh, a couple dozen a year, I've gotten a lot better and learned from some great people. And I mean, some really great just tips I've gotten is, you can make yourself a whole lot better than most speakers if you do not start with the thank you very much and oh, it's hard to speak after lunch, stay awake, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like you've already lost people, you know, and so you thank the the host, you thank people at the end of your talk. You want to hook people with the first sentence out of your mouth. And so I often will will walk to center stage, pause <laughs> uncomfortably long <laughs> And then give the ultimate promise. And I, I often will do like, uh, what's the unrealistic benefit and without any bad stuff, but then you do have to deliver on it. So, you know, I might say, um, imagine if there was a way to double your productivity in the next 24 hours and do it without feeling overworked and overwhelmed. Or I might, if I'm talking about employee engagement, I might say, Imagine if you could cast a magic spell on all your team members and suddenly they're more productive. They show up on time. They never make mistakes. Well, in the next hour, I'm going to give you that magic spell. Hmm. So just by that opening, instead of kind of hemming and hawing into it, people are like, okay, I do want that. And I (laughs) do want to avoid those things. And this is so audacious. I'll give the guy another five minutes. And so (laughs) that's just one very practical tip. And, And another one is it's subtle, but powerful. People often talk about, you know, the power of stories and things. And really, when you realize that your role is to make the audience, the audience members, they're the heroes in the story. You're the you're the guide. You're the Yoda, not the Luke Skywalker. Mm. It's it's kind of a big picture thing, but it changes everything. And I don't know who first said it, but there's a line that that talks about kind of the the jitters so many people get before they go on stage and and speak. And the line is, it's hard to be nervous when your heart is on service. Mm. And once I truly understood that, my nerves, like it was like a switch. It went, went away because I realized like if I'm feeling anxious about getting up on that stage, I'm being me centered. I'm afraid I'm going to fall down and trip. I'm afraid I'm going to stutter. I'm afraid I'm going to wreck my lines and they're not going to like me. I'm me, me, me. It's all that ego, that self-worth. But if I flip it around and say, wait a minute here, I am here to try to help somebody. And I'm not for a second going to think that I'm going to help all hundred people out there. But if I can help one person, it's a good day. It's a good hour. Mm. And so how can I best serve this audience? And and I do that by talking to them before the event I, I and doing my research. I, I you know try to imagine who they are and what the takeaway. How can I help them for that hour? And once you put that focus on service on them, 
it just, it all comes together. Your nerves go away. Your message comes from a place of caring. And, uh, and it just has it really changed my whole, my whole approach. And, and it's funny. I'll, I'll make fun of myself, Jeff. So when I was all about me, <laughs> I used to think like, oh, wow. Like, um, you know, I think they liked me and they clapped, but you know, I didn't get a standing ovation. And then I wonder why I got to get better or wasn't the right audience or whatever. I used to think about the standing ovation. Mm. And for years I thought about it and I never got one. So Finally, almost in disgust, and then I was got a coach, and he told me this thing. I thought, you know what? I, I'm not a, I'm not going to be the best speaker ever. I'm not Tony Robbins. I'm not going to get a standing ovation. I'm going to put my heart on service. I'm not going to be nervous. It's on service, and I don't care about the crowd. I just want to help one person. That's all I'm trying to do is help one person. Within a couple of months, I got my first standing ovation. Mm. I, I can't even make that up, and I can't explain why or the elements, but it did change just where the message was coming from changed uh changed a lot we are definitely cut from the same cloth i identify with so much of what you shared not only the tips but also how you once did things and that that mirrors me very much only in the last year have i begun to in my own public speaking to implement some of the kinds of things that you're talking about and lo and behold in october the last time i spoke what happens a standing ovation and i was Isn't that amazing? i was blown away i was like oh my gosh as soon as i started forgetting about things like that they actually happen it's amazing yeah, that's right. Uh, well, I, I know you're probably going to be in promotion mode for, for a little while, understandably. <laughs> so uh, can you speak to what's ahead for you and your team that, that you're excited about? Anything on the horizon that you're looking forward to? Well, you know, I mean, getting getting the book out has been great. It's, the book is a great way to get the message out. Mm. I'm be candid. What I'm most excited about is is our company. We just uh, mm. started our third year. Uh, LeadX, LeadX.org is uh, an online platform powered by IBM Watson to help people to become great leaders. Uh, we've got the world's first digital executive coach powered by IBM Watson. Mm. And so, you know, anybody that's got a, an iPhone or iPad uh, can get this personalized help in terms of management development, leadership development, a huge resource library of thousands of assets uh, all in the palm of their hand. And what what I did, the reason why we sort of started as a .org instead of a .com is, um, you know, I, I want to spark the next 100 million leaders around the world. That's a big number. Yeah. And so part of how we're going to do it is to provide free free training to anybody who wants it. So every day we release a free course on the website. So anyone around the world can come and just, and it runs, you know, it's on demand. So anytime that's good for you, it's like watching TV, you could get some training on different leadership mm. and management topics. Um, and so I, I, that's, that's what I'm excited about is just continuing our, our journey, you know, being a, a startup tech company in the, being an artificial intelligence company, there's a lot of challenges, a lot of growth for us. Mm. Um, but I'm just so pumped up about the mission and the progress we're making. That's what's making me jump out of bed uh, before that alarm goes off. <laughs> well, I, I definitely am excited to uh, start using that app myself, and I'll be sure and, and put a link uh, to that in the show notes for folks who, who want to check that out, as well as all the ways you can, you can touch base uh, with Kevin. The book, again, is Great Leaders Have No Rules, Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. It's been a delight, Kevin. Thank you so much for being so generous with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. 
I especially appreciated Kevin's advice today on public speaking. I don't know about you, but that really resonated with me. If you'd like to dig more into this episode, connect with Kevin, check out the resources and links we mentioned. You can find everything you need at the blog post I've set up just for this episode. Just navigate over to readleadpodcast.com slash 261 for episode 261. Don't forget about saving your spot for free for the Boss Free Virtual Summit. Head on over to bossfreesummit.com. And if you'd like a free book on publishing your own book, all you need to do is sign up for free training offered by Self Publishing School, and you'll snag a free copy of Chandler Bolt's book published in the process. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. Well, that does it for another week. I look forward to seeing you the next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 